Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is April 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Kirk Duplessis. He is the founder and head trader of OptionAlpha.com. Thanks for being here, Kirk. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market and we'll talk about options. So Kirk is an options expert and we're going to go over why Kirk prefers options, uh, trading options versus trading stocks. But let's get into the current market. Uh, the market is in an uptrend. Uh, it uh, Obviously, bad news is all around, but we got our signal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, things continue to work well uh, and, and leading stocks are more and more of them are starting to participate in uptrends. Now, one key to remember is we are in earnings season, and so anything can happen. Make sure you know when your stocks are reporting earnings. Kirk, what are your thoughts about this crazy market that, that we've been in for a while? I mean, I think it's it's uh, expected to be very volatile, right? Um, my take on it is, you know, I think we're in a, a cyclical bear market at this point. I think we've made the turn. And so at least at the current moment, the bounce is somewhat to be expected. Um, I don't think that it's really, you haven't really seen a lot of the passive investors exit the market yet, which has made up a lot of what, you know, has taken the markets to this level. So that's uh, interesting. Why, why do you think there aren't, there aren't a lot of uh, passive investors that have exited it? Because I don't think they've looked at their statements officially yet, right? They haven't had <laughs> that's a, a smart you know, move. Yeah. right? And by the yeah. end of, you know, by the end of, you know, March, we head into, you know, into April. I mean, it was bad, but like now it's rebounded. So um, I, I think it's going to take another little down move to maybe get some people off the sidelines, you know, that are more passive. But yeah, um, yeah, like I'm very cautiously bearish on the market. So I, I don't think that the rally that we're seeing in either direction is 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 the true move yet. Okay, so you, you think we're in a cyclical bear market, but p potentially a longer secular bull market is, is happening in the in the background? Or no, no, I think I think it's like I, I think we're probably we're probably due for a longer, you know, sideways action than most people expect. You know, like the narrative I see out there right now, like, and I, I'm a, like an avid, just like reader of comments and like what people see. And yeah. the one comment that I've seen everybody make is, oh, it'll always come back. Like we'll definitely regain the highs. Right. Yeah. And when I hear yeah. the words always and definitely, yes. I start to think to myself, well, you know, we could be Japan and it could be 10 years before we see the highs or more. So, yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, now, Kirk, how did you get started in, in all of this? I mean, it's it's an interesting story. Share 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 it with all of us. Yeah, I'll I'll hopefully share the shorter version of it. So um, <laughs> we uh, have time. So yeah, yeah. My uh, you know, you know, the real the real crux of it is like um. So growing up, my parents uh, are both in finance and we're both in the mortgage business, um, and that was great. And like as a kid, we had really good years and we had really bad years. Like when. Uh, so when they were in the mortgage business and mortgages were great and the, it, you know, the real estate market was good, like we had really good years and the years where it wasn't good, it was really bad. And so, you know, I learned as a kid that financial volatility was like a fact of life. Right. And mm -hmm. so for me, I grew up in a position where we either had a lot or we didn't have a lot and we didn't have anything. And so coming out of school, like I was just always interested in finance. You could say I've always been interested in the volatility of, of markets and products and finance. Right. Um, and so I never really found my niche until, you know, really after college. So I went through school, knew I was going to be a finance guy, always into numbers, always into math. Coming out of uh, UVA, everyone in my class graduated and went to work on Wall Street. I literally didn't know any difference. Like I had no idea what that was. I just knew I didn't want to not be like everyone else at that time. And yeah. so everyone was going to New York and having interviews. And I figured, okay, I'll do the same thing. 
Um, it was a great experience. I got to work for Deutsche Bank as an M&A investment banker. That was an amazing experience to get to see kind of how that world works. Yeah. Um, ultimately, did not like the job. I mean, it's like, you know, 7 a.m. to like, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, yeah. I used to joke with my mom. She used to call me in New York and she's like, how's the weather? I'm like, I have no idea. It's always <laughs> 70 degrees and fluorescent in the office. Like, I, I don't leave the, the daggone office. Um, so I realized I didn't want to be in that side of the business. And, um, so and, and went, what year was this around? That was 2007, 2008. So it was oh, right okay. in the Good timing. Yeah. 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 It was awesome timing. And, um, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly it was, I mean, I got to see, it was like, I left before everything really, really kind of hit the fan. Um, yeah. but, but a lot of the deals that we were working on that the bank was working on for, you know, two years, three years, and I was in gaming and oil and natural gas. So, um, those deals were blowing up and, you know, yeah. the deal that a bank was working on for two years blew up overnight. Right. And that's crazy. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, so I left, I decided I want to try, you know, kind of the other side of the Chinese wall. So get on the, the public side and was a read analyst in uh, DC for BB&T Capital Markets. Okay. I really love the read business. Uh, given my family was in real estate, I always had an interest in real estate, currently an avid like real estate investor with my wife. Mm-hmm. And so I love the read business model. I loved understanding reads. I love talking to the CEOs and CFOs on you know what they thought about the company and the trajectory and you know how they were uh, going to allocate capital. And ultimately, again, like and not to like bash, there's no bashing like research analysts because I used to be one, right? Yeah. But like, even if I knew where a company and a read is just a glorified bond for all intents and purposes to me, um, when you have a lot of information about what a company is going to earn and what the cash flow streams are going to be. And you can pretty much project like to with, within a pretty narrow standard of uh, error where the company is going to be. And then the markets are totally, you know, outside of that range for quite some time, or, you know, just like taking earnings, you know, the wrong way or the good way, you know, right. just told, told me that like as much research as we can possibly do still doesn't really make that big of a difference. You know, like the market is the market. And, uh, and ultimately um, that's really tough, you know, to get around that. So, so I left that and decided I want to, I mean, during this whole time, I've been like really interested in options, um, had a rotation in New York, like watching a trading desk and seeing how that kind of worked. And so that really piqued my interest. Yeah. And so I decided I wanted to, to do it. And so. And, and what did that pique your interest on just uh, being able to manage yeah. risk re- really well and have, have to find all the risk or just the leverage uh, part of options? Yeah. You know, like initially it was complex, right? Okay. And I love really complex ideas with finance. So okay. um, like I don't read anything else. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but like, I don't read anything that doesn't interest me like finance wise. So things are really complex and hard to understand. Like I'm very intrigued about, um, but ultimately what I realized about options and we can get into this later, is that options are so flexible, right? Like the multi-dimensional aspect of an option contract is far beyond anything that's out there right now, right? So you can't get that type of flexibility with futures or Forex or regular equity. It's just not even existent. Right. And so I thought that was amazing. Like, how could I, how could I take this, this flexible product and I can bend and shape it and mold it into whatever payoff diagram I ultimately want or whatever scenario I want to pay out? And, and I found that that was really, really fascinating. So um, I learned, you know, look, I, I learned that I was going to be in this business for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started trading. I started clearly making mistakes. Like I lost money the first week and my wife was like, look, if this is what it's going to be, she's like, you know, you can, you can find another job. But, um, you know, it, it was really interesting. And like, I, I seriously think that, and people know this about me, if they follow me, like I'm on a lifelong progression to like figure out how this works. Like the stuff that I did five years ago, like we might have changed. And like, even three months ago, like we started doing things like totally different. Right. So 
every time that I learn something new, like I feel like the best investors, you know, kind of ebb and flow and find their place. And um, so I've been on this like constant personal mission to figure out how this. Well, I mean, and, and the first thing that, that you, you really discovered, and you, might, and you might have mentioned it earlier, but I mean, you really discovered your passion right here. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're living and breathing this stuff, which, which, which is definitely, I mean, that's really cool for, yeah. for those who are able to do that, right? And, and then kind of dedicate a, a bunch of their life towards Totally that. blessed. Yeah, totally blessed. And people are like, when are you going to stop this? I'm like, I will never, as long as the markets always change, like, yeah. and there's a reason to like learn something new, then I'll probably never, I mean, I just, I'm continuously fascinated by it. Yeah. And, and so you, you took this passion and so now you started learning more about it. And, and then you just started a blog, right, on options, yeah. Uh, yeah. trying to you know, look, keep learning it, but also teach others yeah. out there. Yeah, it was, okay, so it was, it was very much a selfish endeavor in the sense that when I started the blog, which was originally a Google blog spot for those yeah. people who are around yeah. long enough to know what a Google blog spot is, but this is 10 plus years ago. And so I started the Google blog spot only because I knew I had to document what I was doing and had to like have a journal, an outlet to talk about how I felt about the markets. I knew that going back and looking at it, I would, and now I, you know, like if I go back and look at those articles, even now, like I realize how stupid I was and how like presumptive I was in, in market direction. And, yeah. um, but anyway, so I started doing but, that. I mean, but that, but let's questions. just stop there for one second. Kurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the, the, the importance of journaling is, uh, is vital to really understanding yourself, yeah. understanding uh, how far along you are getting in your craft. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand why people don't like uh, analyze their performance. And I think mental analysis of like what you were thinking at the time is so critical because, yeah. you, you know, take somebody who was thinking yesterday that oil would never go below or what, two days ago, whatever it was when the contracts closed negative, right? Right. Somebody yesterday said, oh, what's the worst that could happen in an oil futures contract? Oh, it goes to zero. Well, no, it actually goes to negative 40, right? <laughs> so like now you know something about, you know, the market and the world that you never knew before, right? Seriously. So yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine why people don't at least just jot down like what they were thinking at the time. So, so you, so you, t you started taking these, so you started using Blogspot, starting capturing your, your, your thoughts on it. Yeah. And that eventually, how, how did, how did you grow this? Uh, it, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the interesting thing. You know, a lot of people, their Blogspots, no, nah, I don't know if Blogspot's still out there, but <laughs> there are tons of blogs and all this kind of stuff out there, yeah. but you, you took that doing what a lot of other people are doing, but you eventually started attracting others who uh, were intrigued about your, your lessons. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was very, like I said, it was very much selfish in the sense that when I started and I was blogging about what I was doing, a lot of people started asking me questions and mm -hmm. I would respond to their questions, whether comments or emails. And then I got really frustrated because people, you know, like it wasn't enough just to respond in email. So I created a video and I would like show them what I was doing and how I was setting it up. And then people were like, Kirk, all these videos are all over the place. Can you just organize them into a course? And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Like maybe I can get less emails if I organized it into a course. And so yep. I started organizing the videos into a course and then more people started uh, following more people started asking questions. We got better at doing courses. I started, you know, doing more research and like, you know, honing up the skills and, you know, the research. Um, and, and that was literally how we have continued to grow from today. Like we don't do much advertising. We probably do a hundred dollars or so, maybe a quarter in advertising. Wow. We don't do affiliates. We don't do yep. paid sponsorships. I don't do partnerships. I don't do anything. Like it's all pure organic, just put out as much content as humanly possible. 
and um, and try to help out a ridiculous number of people, and it'll all come back around, you know, and and work for us. Yeah, and 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 like they always say, content is king, right? So yeah. if you're if you're sharing value there, yeah. uh, uh, they're going to keep coming back for more. They're going to get on your email list. They're going to be reminded to come back, check out some some of your latest research. Yep. So you now you are uh, so you, you've taken it from the blog. Uh, what other kind of steps are, are, are you looking forward to taking options alpha uh, to towards? Or? Yeah. yeah, I mean, not to like, I mean, not to get like too far in the weeds, but like right. I think about this business and, and everyone that's in this business, like that we have as employees, we have a very, um, the, the word that we always use is like a glacier mindset. And I've talked about this in podcasts before, but I have no problem being a company that moves seemingly incredibly slow in the sense that I feel like nowadays, and, and you know, we were in the Inc. 500 twice, right? So like we've grown really, really fast, but I still wow. think that we're moving slow because we're taking our time to figure out like what the issues are and what the problems are and how we can solve them as a company for this community. And I feel like too many times in this world, and especially lately, tech has just moved so, so incredibly fast. that It's just kind of like burning money, see if it sticks. And then if not, you blow out and you, you know, you start again. Right, right. Um, I've never wanted Option Alpha to be this. You know, I wanted Option Alpha to be something different. So Option Alpha is and will be a software company more and more as we continue to progress. So like one thing that we've learned um, in this whole process is obviously we want to give away education for free. That's what we've always done, right? That should always be kind of like the lead. We, we should give and serve without the expectation to get back. Mm-hmm. What we've learned with now 210,000 people in our community is we've learned that software tools and research and technology are the missing gaps in this industry. Brokers are incredibly behind the eight ball. You know, that's why you see the rise of a Robinhood, which is not really doing that anything like special other than zero commissions. I mean, they're not really doing anything special technology wise yet, but that's why you see the rise of the Robinhoods of the world and other, you know, brokers that are doing better tech stuff. So what we've started doing is the last couple of years start really migrating on the tech side and one of our big products that we're going to be rolling out here soon, um, actually in conjunction with TD Ameritrade, who's our partner in this, is an auto trading platform, which is which is going to be really kind of the first of its kind and, you know, fully automated trading strategies, you know, kind of drag and drop builders to do whatever you want to do ultimately. And that, like, that's what I hear from our community is like the biggest need that they have is time. Like a lot of people go right. through our training or anybody's training. I don't care who it is. They understand the mechanics of it. But right now, the options industry is like it's so old and antiquated. It's like we're doing bill pay, manually writing checks. Like that's every trade has to be executed by hand with your stupid mouse. Like I hate this thing. Like I want to crush my mouse. I don't want to use it anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, So that's where we're going. Technology, research, data, like that's where the future of this, this industry is. That's great. So the market is uh, currently an uptrend and we potentially could be starting a new bull market, but remember Earnings season has started, so you want to make sure you know when your stocks are reporting earnings. Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to talk more about options and uh, some of the option strategies that Kirk uh, looks for. Stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. 
who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot list, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Kirk Duplass, this is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Kirk, let's get into options more. And let's first start out with uh, what, what your thoughts are on the options model. And your thoughts are right now that the options model is broken, right? Yeah. I, I By the way, this is not my thoughts. This is actually a lot of research that's gone into it by okay. numerous people before, for sure. But yeah. um, but it's it's an undisputed fact at this point that the options pricing models are broken. And, um, and and you're talking about like the Black Shoals models that were created in the 70s and, and, yeah. and things like that, right? Yeah. But even I think it goes beyond that because you go and you look at um, what most of these central banks are using for stress tests, which, okay, yeah. which I'm pretty sure every bank just failed the stress test because we never we never had a situation like this ever yes, before, exactly. right? Like the world yeah. has Ooh. never collectively shut down together. I know. So, I know. Um, yeah, so I think it goes beyond just the Black Shoals, but yeah, the Black Shoals is probably one of the one of the leading ones, obviously, for the options market. Yeah. Okay, so so yeah, walk, walk us through why you think that yeah. uh, it's broken. So yeah, so okay, so the model, so all options models, and really a lot of financial models are based off of, unfortunately, what was sound logic at the time, which was this normal distribution of returns, right? So there's mm -hmm. there's probably a couple things that are broken with it, right? The first thing is this idea that there's a totally random walk that happens on equity prices and underlying security prices, which we know is actually not the case. And so the random walk suggests that every single event is totally independent of the last. Well, you can look no further than the last month to realize that everybody and their mother had the idea of the pandemic when the market was crashing. And so when stocks were crashing 6% and then the next day 5%, Clearly, it was not random. Clearly, right. every day was not independent of the last. The market has a memory. We remember what happened. We will probably not try to make the same mistakes that maybe we made as traders and investors, collectively, everybody included, because we've now lived through that event, right? So there's a right. memory in the market. Days are not independent of one another. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this idea of the bell curve. And the bell curve is a great tool to visually explain what happens with distributions of returns and this idea that most of the distributions of returns are kind of center to the bell curve or kind of in the middle. And then you have these tails that are on the edge. Um, and so most of the models that are around pricing and expectation and volatility, all baked into options pricing models, assume a normal or semi-normal distribution. We'll just say normal for the sake of this argument, right? But unfortunately, again, like that's not the case. And you can it's funny, like when you actually really start researching this, and I, I tell people this all the time, like 
don't take my word for it. Just go look at the numbers and go look at the math yourself, right? You go back to like September of 2008 and even not including like this recent crazy market drawdown that we had, fastest time to 30% drawdown ever in history. They go back to like September, 2008 and the market went down 7%. The odds of that happening, according to the models back in 2008 was one in a billion, yet it happened. And then you had 1998 where the Dow fell three and a half percent, then a week later it fell four and a half percent, and then it fell 6.8%. The likelihood of that happening is once every 100,000 years. Clearly the models are not associating the tail risk appropriately in everything that's out there. Yeah. And we just learned this all over again. And me and you were talking about this months ago, actually, before this happened, when we were kind of like, you know, prepping for this interview, or I guess right. you know, you're talking about pre-interview stuff. But, you know, like we learn, learn this lesson again, and it'll happen over and over again. Markets move way further, way faster than everyone expects. Uh, markets are not independent of, of every day. Like every day's event is not independent of each other. And a lot of volatility clusters around certain time periods, like what we're seeing right now. And I think that traders most of the time don't really understand this. I mean, like you look at crude oil just the other day, went negative for the first time. Nobody knew that that could actually happen, right? right. That, right. that was not even a possibility on anybody's radar. Most people are like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? You know, the futures contract goes to zero. It actually went to negative 40. Like what if it goes to negative 100? I know that right. sounds crazy right now, but it could. I mean, it, it yeah. clearly could, right? So, right. Um, so my yeah, thought- I, I, I've been doing this for, I've been training now for 20 years. Yeah. I've had three once in a lifetime events already. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's, and, and even for us here at uh, IBD, it's, we're based on trends. We're based on that markets do have a memory and, and there are clear times when you want to be in the market and clear times to where you have to protect yourself and be out of the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the analogy that I use is like, you know, you, you can't avoid a fight right? Like you can't, you're going to fight the market, right? You can't avoid a fight, but maybe just like maybe scaling back at some points, maybe using some discretion with, you know, risk management, maybe you can avoid a knockout punch, right? You're going to get yeah, punched in the face, right. but maybe you can avoid a knockout punch, right? That's ultimately yeah. what it is. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And, and that, that is the key. It's survival, right? right? And and avoiding that that punch from Mike Tyson, uh, it's going to, you know, in, increase the chances. Just get out of the ring. That's right. You when he die. hops in the ring, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> and if he looks angry. Um, yeah. So 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 the options model, yeah, yeah, can't disagree there. I mean, there, there are definitely, there are a number of assumptions taken into account that just isn't, rea that's just not reality. And we've seen it over the last 20 years. Right. And it almost seems now that you know, things are happening faster. They move everything, like you mentioned, moves down quicker. Maybe they recover quicker. I mean, the markets really recovered very quickly last year at the beginning of 2019. And right. it was in, a, in this V-shaped recovery that really generally doesn't ever happen either. Uh, yep. So yeah, they're, they're, you just have to have an open mind. You have to take a look at all these models and take a look at all these frameworks and question them because as more technology comes into the into the environment, as different strategies come in the environment, things change and, and, and you have to change with it. Yeah. And I think, I think your point about just like, it could happen on both ends. So like going back to like the bell curve, you're know, like the data that's out there. So this is not my theory, but like, this is right. the data that's out there. The data that's out there is definitely suggestive that the bell curve and the tails are fat on both ends, meaning that we have way more large down moves than expected and way more large up moves than expected. 
And we literally just lived through both of those events in the last two months, right? We had yeah. a massive down move, massive up move in both directions, both of which nobody saw coming, right? Like, right. so it's fascinating to, if you're an investor and you're not paying attention right now, I mean, you're missing an opportunity just to, just to learn and watch. Yeah. That's absolutely true. So let's talk more about options and some of the option strategies, uh, especially for those who are new to options. Uh, a, a few uh, a few tips that you can give them or, or a few kind of different uh, things they want to think about uh, when when considering using options as part of their strategy. Yeah, yeah. I think getting back to like the the talk about the pricing models are broken. Um, I think what it really comes down to is and and the analogy that I always use is the pricing models are skinny in the middle and fat on the edges. And so what I mean by that is that just as much as the market over assumes that, things are going to be, or, or the, that we have occurrences that are on the tail end more than the model assumes. Mm -hmm. In the same way, the middle of the options pricing model or the distribution curve, normal you know, bell curve model over assumes how far things are going to go most of the time. And so like, this is again, a very well-documented you know, uh, phenomenon, I guess you could call it, but it's really just the implied volatility risk premium. It's this idea that even though we're going to have these tail end events, these black swans, most of the movement that happens long-term in the middle, kind of like the messy middle yeah. is overpriced. And so what that means is that most of the time as an options trader, you're going to be entering a market where options are generally overpriced. That doesn't mean they're always overpriced, but it means they're generally overpriced. It doesn't matter if volatility is low, it doesn't matter if volatility is high. We generally see this implied volatility risk premium start to present itself around kind of the middle, you know, at the money, near at the money strikes. And so I think as an options trader, you have to keep in mind this pricing that happens. So if you want to be an options buyer, you're potentially going to go through years, months and years of negative returns to maybe hit a grand slam home run if you can survive it. Wow. If you're an options seller, you could go through many, 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 many months, maybe years of really good potential premium mm -hmm. just to be knocked out completely by one major black swan event. So right. I'm not here to say necessarily which one is better or different. Like you make the, you be the judge of your own character and what you want to do. But I think understanding that that dynamic is really, really important because if you don't understand the pricing that goes into these and how pricing is derived in many of these markets, you have no chance just directionally picking because there's, there's no edge in direction, right? So there's only an edge in pricing. So with uh, so one thing that a lot of newer investors do, or especially newer to to options, is instead of buying a stock right there, and this is from what we see here in IBD, you know, instead of buying the stock, they want to buy the calls, yeah. uh, and and so then they'll go long and 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 they 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 buy out of the money calls too, yeah. right? Uh, talk about that with with the that that kind of strategy, uh, and and you know, to top that off, even they'll they might buy weekly calls. Uh, to talk about why that's not necessarily a great strategy, especially for the longer term. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the end result is in my thought process on strategy is you just have to know what you're giving up, right? So there's no free lunch in the market. You can't just arbitrarily make a bunch of money, just buying all these call options, selling all these call options in either, either direction. So when somebody goes in and they buy a long call option, basically what they're giving up is they're giving up the uh, downside risk in exchange for lower probability of making money on that trade. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that people understand the gravity of that trade-off. So yes, you can buy a call option, might cost you a hundred bucks, might cost you $10, but because it's low priced and low valued, 
there's a reason why it's not going to make money 95, 90% of the time, you know, depending on where you buy them. So I think the strategy is misguided in the sense that people look at it as an easy way to triple quadruple money because they see people on Instagram with sweet cars and sweet whatever's right. you know, sweet watches, like, you know, yeah, exactly. you know, tripling their money. Right. Right. But, but I think, again, it gets back down to pricing and, um, and, and just understanding the dynamics of an option contract, you know, options are funny beasts because, you know, a stock is very simple to understand, right? It's, it's, it's one directional. So you either buy it and it goes up or you sell it and it goes down and you, you short it. Right. But yeah. options have these additional components that you have to worry about. It's not just direction. It's how long until expiration and how much time, and then there's volatility. Right. And so you have these other components that are kind of working in conjunction with direction it makes it a little bit more, I'd say a lot more complicated initially until you understand it. But if you don't understand how those components are going to fit and ebb to, and flow together, you're just going to get wiped out just trying to buy all these lottery tickets all over the place. So um, in regards to weekly contracts, you know, I think weekly serve a purpose, right? There's a, there's a need for weekly contracts. Mm-hmm. You know, we just haven't really found that weekly contracts are, are profitable, you know, for, for long option, you know, buying, especially on calls or puts. It's just, it's too short of a time period. There's not enough movement. Um, the time decay is just wicked. And it's only really works if you get a massive volatility move in that particular week. So again, it's, you could go 52 weeks without a winning trade. Yeah. How much capital do you go through in that time, right? That, that would be the question, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's the key. I mean, you, you have to take a look at the math. You have to take a look at the, yeah. the probabilities and, and over time, how many trades is going to take for you to be profitable? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We did, we did a research study on uh, earnings trades and one of the most profitable strategies that came out of it was a long call option uh, on earnings. So just buying a long call option the next week on a stock that's announcing earnings. Okay. Now, if I told you that on the outside, you'd be like, oh, well, okay, maybe that makes sense, right? The stock has a big pop and it makes a big move higher. But of all the tickers that we tested, which was like 94 tickers over 20 years of research, right? Mm-hmm. It was only a few tickers, like five occurrences that were astronomically better returns in that 20-year period. And it was on things like Netflix, Chipotle, Priceline that had exponential returns on right. one or two earnings events. So I asked people, like, you could go 20 years potentially, loss, 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 loss to maybe make it all back in one shot, but you just don't know when it's gonna come in 20 years. So numbers wise, if you looked at just the, the, you know, the, the big numbers of the research, yeah, the long call options did very well, but it's only because of a few very specific outliers and how likely are you to pick those out of a, out of a hat, right? So um, yeah. let's look at the numbers like that. Perfect. So understanding what works best for you is one of the keys to success in the market. And option strategies are definitely one that is worth considering. So coming up next, Kirk and I are going to talk about a few larger trends, a few other strategies uh, that you might want to consider. Stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at Margaret Smith. Now, Scott... We've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There are so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth. Hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. 
Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart, so it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the markets chart, and all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours, and in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Kirk Duplessis on investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Kirk, let's talk more about some option strategies and uh, let's go into the credit spreads. And, and uh, l let's start from the beginning and, and explain what a credit spread is and then how, how you can take advantage of it, especially in during volatile times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, like one, I trade a lot of credit spreads. Two, I think credit spreads are an amazing way to not only learn how to, how to trade options, but then also to get into an options trade that is highly defined, highly controlled. So one of the things I love about credit spreads is you don't have to worry about any of the undefined risk. You know, you can really, really define your risk and hone the skill of options trading without getting too complex. So all a credit spread is, is an options selling strategy. It's a net selling strategy where you're selling one option contract and then you're buying another option contract at a different strike. That's why they call it a okay. spread because you're spreading between two different strikes. And yep. you do it as a credit, which means that the net difference between those buys and sells ultimately ends up being a premium that comes into you as an option seller. So you so you're so, so you're selling the so you're selling one option that's going to give you more premium than yep. you're paying for the other option. Yeah. So like if you were doing a put credit spread, you would okay. sell a put. Say a stock is trading at hundred dollars, you'd sell yep. a put at ninety five, buy a put at ninety, and the difference between the sell and the buy would still give you a credit. Okay. And, and 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 now you're 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 yeah, at least you can get out of the trade by yeah. having the right to to put it to someone else at, at night right. or whatever. Yeah, and and you know the the beauty of it is is that each of the sides is directly offset when it comes okay. to the stock, right? And so that's yeah. why I like those because you don't have to worry necessarily about being put the stock or being short the stock. You right. can directly offset it with the other contracts. So as long as you keep them equal, right? If you sell one, you buy one, you sell two, you buy two, you keep it equal. And then you can, that the coolest thing is once you do that, you have 100% defined risk and defined profit. So yes. you know, heading into it, and this is why I tell people all the time about stocks, right? If you buy a stock, do you exactly know how much risk you have? And the answer is probably undoubtedly no, right? Like you think you know how much risk but it could move down well beyond your risk threshold the next day, right? Yeah, I know. An Any, anything's possible. Anything, as stocks, anything's possible, right? Yep. So with an option strategy, though, if you get into a spread, you have defined risk. And so right. if it moves well beyond that, you know you have defined risk right away. Yep. So, so, you, you, so you know exactly how much you're going to get out of it. You know exactly how much you could lose if it goes against you. Right. And there's very little to worry about at that point. That, then it just well, then it truly becomes a numbers game. 
well, then it becomes a numbers game. And now you have to start playing this dance of, okay, I'm selling a spread and we can go through maybe an example here, just to like you know, use regular numbers sure. or just some basic numbers, but you're selling a spread and now you can determine how far out of the money you want to sell that spread. In the case of a credit spread, the further out of the money or away from where the underlying is trading, the higher your probability of success. However, in exchange for that, because there's always an exchange, you always got to right. give up something. If you have a high probability of success, then you're going to give up the potential profit, which means you're going to make less when you win. So there's this dance that you have to play where you have to figure out how far out of the money is good for you, that it's a good, uh, you know, like balancing act of win rate and how much you're going to make against how much you want to risk and, and how much you're willing to lose on, you know, percentage wise. So, um, so yeah, so that's how we kind of look at spreads. Okay. So let's walk through an example. Yeah. Uh, cool. So what I would do is, um, so like right now I'm doing a lot of call credit spreads. Um, okay. so the reason I'm doing these is I, I like these because we've had a huge run up and I think that we are probably in potentially a zone where the market doesn't necessarily go down, but doesn't go up at the same pace. Right. So Makes I sense. like the idea of, of really trying to set up these spreads so that the market has to continue to do something abnormal in order for me to lose on these trades. And if it okay. does, then I can potentially, you know, trade out of it, trade around it, turn it into a neutral trade. So let's say a stock is trading at $100. I might sell the 110 call option. So that would mm -hmm. be my first strike or my short strike. So stock's trading at 100. I sell the 110 call option and then I buy the 115 call option. So that now creates a spread between 110 and 115. The net difference between that could net me a credit of $1. So okay. $1 of potential option premium. That means that I'm potentially risking $4 to make that $1. And so how I get to the $4 is I take the width of the spread, which is $5. So I sold the 110, I bought the 115. I collected yep. a $1 premium that leaves $4 left in the spread. And that's my potential risk. So that strategy might have, say, a 70% chance of success. So I know that there's a 70% chance most of the time based on the option pricing models, right? Because we know that they're mostly broken, but most of the time <laughs> should be 70-ish percent chance of success or more. Um, yeah. At least I've got controlled risk, right? So I know exactly like heading into the trade, I know my numbers, I know the math, I know, you know, potentially how it's going to work out. And in order for me to lose, the stock has to go above my 110 call strike and beyond my break-even point. Yeah, in, in that defined amount of time. Right? So, so, what, what, yep. so what, what, what kind of time period do you look for uh, for this? Is it, is it a short amount of time or are you trying to yeah. give, give more amount of time for this? Let me, let me context this around the research that we've done. So I would argue to okay. say that we've got more research than anybody in the entire world on specific option strategy performance. And I know this because our Amazon server costs are ridiculous just to even house all this stuff and like run the wow. state, right? Um, yeah, so when I say that cool. we've tested millions and millions and millions of strategies, we've tested millions and millions and millions of strategies. What we generally find is that when you are trading shorter, let's say short premium strategies, so your option selling net, somewhere around 30 to 60 days ends up being pretty well. For some okay. reason when you get inside 20 days, it just doesn't work out as well. Now that doesn't mean that it works better to be an option buyer in that time period. It just means that like 20 days and inside, it, it's just not enough time, right? Not enough time. And you're really kind of more gambling with market direction than you are trying to go after a systematic quantifiable edge. 
And is, is that maybe because the pricing is even more off during that short, short think, amount of time? I think it could be a, a factor of like illiquidity. So you got okay. bigger spreads, right? Yep. Um, in those shorter contracts. And then you also have a lot more gamma risk during those time periods. So gamma risk, meaning that the option prices move more frequently. And so they're, they're more likely to just either be really profitable or really not and nothing in between. Um, so I think that, you know, as an option seller, somewhere around the 30 to 60 day time period is, is probably good, right? It's a good, it's a good judge, right? As an option buyer, we generally find, and this is like broadly across strategies that going out even further and kind of buying yourself some extra time works well. So if you go too close as an option buyer, which is funny because this is all I see people do on Facebook groups and like communities and Reddit is they buy a bunch of these like short options, you know, two weeks out. And I'm right. like, well, research just is, then the math is what it is. The data suggests, you know, probably maybe 60 days plus for some of these option buying strategies. Um, so that's how we do it. We kind of work in the 60 to 30 day time period. Yeah, but but Kirk, most people want want instant gratification. I mean, sixty I know, days is a long time, right? <laughs> that's the trade off. See, if you want instant gratification, you have to just give up your money. That's the trade off. <laughs> and then you can have fun doing it. You get all the gratification in the in the world. You just have to actually give up your money. You don't get it back. So, <laughs> so so okay. So so that's the credit spread, and yep. and and so that that's one of volatility strategy that that you can use. And so you're betting that. Especially now, the market it's going to go calm down a little bit, maybe go sideways, and it's not going to be kind of the the norm that it's been this insanely volatile time that we've had over yeah, the, I think, the last. I, mean, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the market could continue to be really right, volatile, right, right. But, but the idea behind setting up these strategies for me personally is okay. I, I'm gonna just, like I look at the market as like a you know as a competitor. I'm like okay, Mr. Market, like you want to continue to go higher, like you got to continue to go higher at this pace to beat this strategy, right? And so I'll just set these up every couple of days. And if the market keeps going higher, I set up more and I just force it to continue to outperform me and out, you know, blow me out, which statistically it can't do all the time. Right. Right. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so that's one, you know, another one that you could use, which is just two credit spreads that you join together in the same trade is an iron condor. Iron condors okay. are great strategies, uh, great strategies for newbie traders, for beginners, a lot of professionals use iron condors. Um, a lot of institutions use iron condors. They're great strategies. It's basically setting up a credit spread. But in our example, I set up a call credit spread. You would set up the call credit spread and then set up another credit spread using put options. Oh, and okay. now you give yourself a range from which to profit. So now it's not so one directional where you want the market to you know, potentially go up a little bit or go down. Now it's you want the market to stay inside of a range. Um, and that's not a bad way to trade either. It's more non-directional. It's definitely a very simple strategy, very easy to set up. And, and it gives you an opportunity not to make such big directional bets with your money. So, so going back to that previous strategy where the stock is trending at 100, you, you, you already, uh, you, you bought a, you, yeah, you're buying that a, 110 call, selling the 105. Now you're the doing that. Buying the 115. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so now you're doing it to the downside, not 90. Yeah. And okay. Now on the put side, you'd sell the 90 and you'd buy the 85 strike. And so you would do the exact same thing. You would just do it on the mere, the mere side of the, of the pricing table or the options pricing table. So yeah, in that case, all you want now is you just want the stock to land anywhere between 90 and 110. So the stock yeah. could trade sideways. It could go up. It could go down. All you care about is it's just got to land between 90 and 110. So again, it's not a bad strategy. And, and by any means, it's a very good strategy. You just have to know what you're doing with it. In that case, if the stock makes a huge move lower, 
then you could potentially lose. And so right. that's why you get compensated some additional premium by selling that put spread. Because now you've taken on the risk that the stock goes all the way lower against your, your put strikes. No, I mean, uh, it, it really is fascinating. And it definitely, these type of strategies are going to attract people who are really into math, who are really into financials, right? I think they should attract people who are just really into understanding what they're doing with their money. You know, like, yeah. I think that people just need to have an overall financial awareness beyond just, uh, I just think I'm going to invest in the market, right? Well, what, what about, because like, for a lot of people, they might be intimidated by this, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what are some kind of just easy steps to, to get past that intimidation? Uh, yeah, and, and we, we face the same thing on the stock side is, you know, you just start out small, but you have to put something, you can't paper trade, yeah. uh, right? It's, it's the same thing because it, it, it looks, you know, for, for a lot of people, this can, it seems very complex, uh, yeah. So, so any suggestions on, on how to get over that initial fear? Yeah, I think it, it's best summed up. And there's a really good quote that basically says education is abundance, but the desire to educate oneself is scarce. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that ultimately is what it comes down to. Like if you have a desire to take control of your finances, like I, like I did as a kid, right? Because I didn't want to go through the fluctuation. I've got three kids. Like I can't put them through the same thing that I went through as a kid, right? Like yeah. that's my personal mission as a father and husband, my kid, you know, like a father, of my kids, husband to my wife. And so, you know, for me, it's about understanding this so I can control the risk. So I don't have massive drawdowns when the market tanks. Right. right. But, um, but I think it just starts with education, like use any free resources that are out there, any courses that are out there and then start small. Like, you know, here's the thing I've, I've always told people this, if you can't learn to control a portfolio that's small, adding more zeros is just going to add more headaches. It's true. Right. It's so funny because people think that they need, if they have more money, magically, they're going to be successful. But we all know the stats on people who win the lottery and then are back to broke in like a couple of years, right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. You can't control a small portfolio. Adding more zeros is not going to help. It's actually going to make it worse. So I think you're better served actually starting smaller, just understanding it, being willing to, you know, kind of take your, your bruises and your punches because you know it's going to make you better in the end. So That's perfect, Kurt. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So that's it for Investing with IBD, sponsored by Market Smith. Next week, we are going to have Jeremy Capron on the show. He is the Director of Research at Robo Global. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.